welcome to the ABCA's podcast. I'm your host, Ryan Brownlee. Scott Fox is the creator of Champion Playbook and the director of baseball at Dynamic Sport Performance. He and I met in January. Uh, He introduced himself uh, when I was speaking at a clinic uh, for Alexandria Little League, uh, USA Baseball Clinic, and I'm really glad that he introduced himself. Uh, We've developed a a really good relationship uh, since January. Uh, He and I are are very similar on uh, improving, self-improvement, and also how to deal with players. I was really glad that he reached out to me to to come on the podcast uh, because I think it's really important for what's going on right now with the coronavirus. uh, We get on a lot of topics. Uh, One big one is tapping, which not sure a lot of people know about, but I've used in the past uh, with players with the yips. And we talked about Dr. Tom Hansen, talked about Alan Jager, uh, talked about Brian Kane. Uh, and, and he uses a lot of this technique, these techniques with youth and high school players. So I think this is a great timing for this part of it. Uh, and we'll have some great insight and ideas for people to, to dive into that. We also got into kettlebell training a little bit. Uh, we hit a lot of different things. We get deep on some topics. Uh, so I think this is a great time for right now and what's going on. Uh, have a great listen. I'm actually back in Illinois with the family, so I'm enjoying my time with my family right now, now that we're out of the office. Uh, so hopefully everybody's being safe, and hopefully this gives you some great insight on, on ways to improve uh, yourself, but also the people that you're, you're around every day. Thanks, everybody. All right, we're here with Scott Fox, uh, creator of Champion Playbook, and then he's the director of baseball at Dynamic Sport Performance in Alexandria, Virginia. He and I met at a clinic here uh, in January, um, and uh, he and I developed a a good relationship, and he and I wanted to to get on and and talk about the state of things and how he's handling things and um, then get into a, a little bit of the baseball side of things as well. So welcome, Scott. Thank you very much, Ryan. I appreciate it. And uh, yeah, you're right. We we met, and I knew I had a a, a brother here when you started <laughs> off your presentation with some breathing exercises. <laughs> yep, I, uh, I I go way back with it, and um, I know it's kind of in fad now, but it's it's never been a fad for me. And you and I talked about that. It, it really did save my playing career uh, when I got into it. I, I found it at the right time for me, uh, because if I hadn't have found it at that time, I don't think I would have ended up being a college baseball player if I hadn't have found some of those tools because my junior year of high school uh, really didn't go as planned. Um, I, I started in the beginning of the year at Memorial High School for Quentin Merkel, who had coached Don Mattingly, and um, I didn't handle it very well, and it was a very competitive program. It's still a very competitive program, and if you didn't play well, you weren't going to play, and so that's what happened, and then I ended up playing at the end of the year, Uh, but I ended up finding the mental aspects of baseball, and and we were doing audio techniques um, 
you know, at that point. And so I, I really did buy into it. And now it's helped me away from things as well. And uh, I think this is the right time to talk about it because I think everybody needs a little bit of help right now. So I appreciate you coming up and talking to me. And that's the great thing about you coming up and talking to me because if you hadn't have done that, I wouldn't have known who you were. And I appreciate you making that first step and introducing yeah. yourself to me. And that's how relationships work. So it's it, this is great. They really are. And uh, I was thinking about that as well. And, you know, one of the things that I've, I've learned in my life is it's the fun of that. And I'm an introvert. And so to be able to do that kind of ties in with what we're talking about with the, the mental and emotional aspects of the game and life. And, uh, you know, it, it, we'll get into it here, but it simply frees people up to go do things like play great baseball, but also go do fun things like establish a relationship. Yeah. You know, how did you, how were you able, you, you describe yourself as an introvert, how were you able to get through that? Because probably, you know, five, 10 years ago, you probably wouldn't have been able to make that connection. How, how did you, yeah. how are you, how were you able to get to that point where you can say, hey, I'm going to go up and talk to him? Yeah, well, let me go, let me back up. And uh, as you described, you know, you needed this or you found something in high school that was relevant. Um, I actually never did until I was outside of the game. Yep. You know, the game was done for me. And so I was that high level high school ball player um, here in the DC area. And uh, I was, you know, whatever the number one honor was here, they call it all met. And I was a catcher. I know I don't look like a catcher these days, but <laughs> um, back in the day I had some more, more body weight and muscle. And, um, you know, I got to play D one ball and I thought oh, I'm going to be a professional baseball player. That was my dream. Um, but I just was very inconsistent in at the college level. And there were t times I could look, you know, like I was a prospect and other times it was like, wow, you know, what's wrong? <laughs> and I never discovered any of those tools that we're now going to talk about. And consequently, you know, the game was over for me after college. And uh, uh, I started to look back at that when I started to coach my own kids who, you know, I call it age 10. My daughter was playing baseball with the boys at that point, And I just wanted to become the best coach I could be. So I looked back and said, hmm, what was missing for me and what can I bring to people? And we live in the age of information right now. So I just dove in. I think I probably Googled something like, uh, you know, mental and emotional training baseball. And I just started to learn. It's just started to learn. So I came across a bunch of uh, interesting things. And uh, long story short, back to your question of how can I, as an introvert, kind of, uh, do these types of things? It's from training and practice and, um, you know, and that sounds like everything we do, right? Training and practice. Yep. <laughs> and uh, we'll t I'll turn it back over to you, but there's lots of great techniques and tools out there that we can talk about. Yeah, and I, I think some of it boils down to when you are playing is trying to find uh, proper perspective uh, with the amount of, you know, and I don't like the term failure, but that, that's how most people describe the, the downside of performance with baseball is failure. Think all of these tools help you develop a little bit of a perspective on your performance. And that does take practice because as a talented, you know, you described yourself as being talented as a talented uh, performer in, in any avenue, uh, probably things are gonna come really easy to you in the beginning. 
uh, when you first start into it. And then as you go up levels, uh, there's going to be more of those opportunities to not have success just because the competition level goes up. And so how, how do you handle those and, and, and handle those learning opportunities? I love calling them learning opportunities. Uh, you know, how do you handle those learning opportunities? And, you know, I think we all get to that point where, okay, things aren't going well. Uh, I think everybody is going to handle those things differently. And, um, you know, some of it could be panic for people. And that's what it was for me when, when I wasn't going well. Uh, the game would speed up on me. And so there would be some panic. There would be some tight chest. There would be some, some sweaty palms. Uh, and so all of those tools allowed me to be able to have better perspective on my performance uh, and, and then have a, a much better mentality to be able to take what that game was, whether it was good or bad, um, you know, and then take it into the next day and, and hopefully learn from the day before. And I think that's the process and, and the, the path that we're all on every day outside of the arena or in the arena is it is a day-to-day -day thing and some days are going to be better than others. And, um, you know, I think as you go, you, you start to learn how to handle things better uh, and, and take it day by day because every day, is, and as we're learning now, you know, every day is going to be completely different now. Um, you know, and you said you started to reach out then when you were coaching what were some of the resources then, you know, you said you searched it, like what popped up first for you from, from a resource standpoint? Yeah. You know, I, I really don't remember what popped up first, but I remember what was, uh, what stuck with me and it took a long time for it to stick and we'll talk about why, but you know, it was, uh, it was a lot of Tom Hansen's work yep. with, um, emotional freedom techniques, um, tapping, uh, yeah, there was some breathing in there as well, and I still like that as a, as a, as a tool. But I was intrigued with the uh, work that Tom was doing. And honestly, I looked at the stuff and the information for months, and I thought it was just a bunch of hooey. And it uh, just didn't look right, didn't look like baseball, and it just seemed like, oh, there's somebody on the Internet who wants to take my money. Exactly. <laughs> And, and I had reached out to Dr. Hansen multiple times because I have dealt with players that, that did get the yips. Uh, and, and so I, I did use a little bit of the tapping. I'm not certified in the tapping part of it, and I know that you are, so we can get into that. But I did use uh, some tapping uh, with some of the players that I had coached, and it did help. And I think the first time that you actually saw tapping was Oregon State was in the World Series, and right. I think that's where people saw it for the first time is they had a pitcher who was going well. That You could tell that was his routine. Once he was off the mound and went back into the dugout, you could see him go through his tapping. And so, I mean, we can dive right into that right now if you want, if you just want to sure. take people. Because sure. I'm sure there's some people listening in right now that know what tapping is, but you don't see a lot of it still. Yeah. Um, and it is a way to get things back flowing. So, yeah, if you want to take us through that right now, that would be awesome. That sounds great. Um, yeah, I have, I have a lot of tools in the Champion Playbook program that I put together, but I try to keep it simple because – you know, if you throw a lot at people, they're just not going to do anything. So yes. we, yeah, we keep it narrow. I, I love the breathing. I love postures as a means of changing physiology and neurotransmitters. And I love tapping too, because it is, um, to use the, the phrase, it is mind, body, and athletes want to use their body. Generally, yes. they want to use their body. 
So they, uh, it's a great tool for that. Um, yeah, I got certified in this because after I started to learn the process, I first I test everything on myself. Yes, uh, and I do too. Yeah. So I was in my office after f- probably six months of just keep coming back to to websites and like, oh, all right, finally, I'll try it. And I was doing this tapping on myself and I felt a giggle come out of me. Yep. It wasn't because I was laughing at anything. It was just that there was an energetic release inside of me. And I recognized it as, ooh, that was interesting. <laughs> what was that all about? And so I thought, all right, maybe there's something to this. And I just stuck with it. And, uh, you know, again, it was just where coaches and athletes desire carries us a long way. And I just had a desire to yep. really become the best coach I could be for people. And then pretty quickly, I realized, hmm, this is actually good for me. <laughs> yes. And um, I started to you know, work on myself. Um, I think this is critical for a lot of uh, leaders, coaches, teachers, is you can say the right words, you can do the right things, but if it's really not flowing from the inside of you in a genuine way, it's like kids and dogs, they can read us. And yes. There's no faking. <laughs> So for coaches listening to this, um, please, um, you know, be open to hearing about it and to um, perhaps taking a step forward to becoming the best person you can be Um, and clearing up. Let's dive into it here. You mentioned perspectives. I would say clearing up inadvertent early uh, programming. Yep. So we all have a perspective based on our programming. Programming is kind of a an you know antiseptic term but it's basically what happens to us as we grow up i and i, I and I, I love the term baggage you know i think people yeah. take it as a negative i don't like you bring your baggage with you like that's that's a for me a great description of it is everybody has baggage and everybody's going to bring that baggage with them so um you know you have to take that into consideration um with with anyone that you're dealing with that they're all going to come in with different experiences and and as a human i think you have to recognize that in each person that that person's going to be different than me and and that's okay and um i think that that was the fun part for me with with coaching is you would get into the classroom with guys and I would explain like, hey, I'm doing this stuff as well with you guys, and, and I'm not perfect. I'm going to make a lot of mistakes uh, with this, but it, but it is trial and error. And I think in the generation, when you're talking about Generation Z, Gen Z kids, I think they want to see that out of you. They want to see that, okay, he's, he's trying this. It isn't the my way or the highway or, or do this because I'm telling you to do this. Uh, do this because it actually works for me. And yes, there's been some trial and error with this as well. And I think kids are going to gravitate to that much more now than they ever had in the past. Yeah, the authoritarian do this because I say so. Oh, that is just not going to work right now. (laughs) (laughs) It's just with technology, kids are smart. And, um, you know, I I have two high school age kids and uh, they'll remind me all the time that I don't know as much as I think I know sometimes. But um, I I think we were all that way. It just was different back in the old days because we didn't have as much technology and there weren't as many resources. So you did have to go out and try to find things for yourself. And it wasn't going to be readily available where information is readily available now, whether it's good or bad. That's right. That's right. And I appreciate you reminding me. Yeah, our kids are about the same age. My son's 18, a senior in high school. 
and my daughter's 20 in college. And uh, yeah, they were, their life experiences are so different than what I had growing up. And uh, it's amazing. And when you were, you know, you talked about coaching your daughter. What were some of the techniques that you were using with her? You know, as you were working through everything, what were some of the techniques that you started to use with your daughter? Yeah, you know, she, um, she was on the early end of things when I was studying. So that was 10 years ago. And I continue to study. Um, and I, I remember introducing the, um, some breathing and tapping with her. But honestly, I was pretty light-handed with it at that point. And I, I guess I'm glad, I, glad that I was. Um, but later on, uh, as her experience in high school became more focused on basketball, there was a point where, you know, as a parent, I wanted her to both have an outlet for kind of the emotional um, aspects of just life in general, and also from a sports perspective. And uh, she used tapping to switch her shooting hands. So she was nice. originally, originally a righty, yeah. Then for some reason, for a year or two, she shot left-handed. And then she wanted to go back to right-handed. <laughs> so that she used that and credited it as, that, as a, uh, a means of helping her get there. And that's really great. Um, Did know, she end up playing after high school? No, she didn't. Okay. No. And uh, she's still a really good athlete, and she continues to do work um, as a teacher in the kettlebell studio that we can talk more about here in Alexandria. She's a certified trainer also. And, uh, you know, that's very a great thing from a coach and parent perspective is I really am out in the world with my product and program helping people because it's a great gap or a bridge between that gap of, you know, sports and then these things that you want to help your child with yes. um, in life. And so I'm kind of that, uh, I try to be that helpful, if, if anything, just benign spirit that can bring people some, some information and some procedures, some techniques that help them get there both on the field and off the field. Um, and so... Uh, and it's a great example of you know, 99% of the kids out there that play sports growing up are not going to do anything in college and they are going to be regular students. And there's pressures on regular college students as well. And, you know, being in the college level that I was for 22 years, you know, you saw it with, with not just your own guys, but you would have interactions with regular students and they were stressed out as well. Um, yeah. You know, and everybody can use those skills to help them going forward. And, you know, you put in your notes with me with the suicide rates that we have, the anxiety rates that we have, depression, you see it more and more now. And, um, you know, with, with, with technology, we are connected, but are we really connected? You know, and I, that's the question that I always ask, like we are so connected with technology, but I, on a human level, I don't know if we are, are actually as connected as we've been in the past. And maybe this, what's going on right now with the coronavirus, maybe this starts to bring some of that human connection back that we've lost um, along the way. Yeah, you know, I, I hope that it does. It's interesting right now, there's, uh, as we've seen, there are different reactions with people. Um, the immediate is we are disconnected more in a way because we are literally being told to disconnect. <laughs> <laughs> and that's very interesting. And uh, you, you start to see, see what's inside of people with regards to the stress of that. There's different reactions on the street. Some people um, will not only create that social distancing space, 
but they won't even look at you nor smile. Yes. You know, they're that scared and, and uh, that's a shame. And uh, I think though that ultimately people will recognize that there is a connection that's valuable in the human existence here. We all have heard it, we all, we all are one, and we've, you know, we take it for granted. But I think that when you're put through a stressful situation as the world is right now, that it will swing back the other way. Um, I and, think that, yeah, go ahead. And I've had a lot of friends reach out to me, uh, checking on me because I am an extrovert um, and I do love social interaction with people. And I downloaded the Marco Polo app because a friend of mine sent it to me. And Marco Polo, for anybody who doesn't know, it's I'm, I'm describing it as Snapchat for older people because you can leave video messages for people. And I, I never got on Snapchat, but being around college-age guys, they loved Snapchat. Um, so I, I've used that to leave video messages for people, and I think it's been great. But I, I did. I had multiple plen- friends reach out to me when this first started and be like, are you okay? Because they know how much... I like being around people and how much I love interacting with people. Um, so I, I do appreciate all of my friends that reached out to me because they were, they were genuinely concerned on how I was actually going to handle being, you know, quarantined and being inside because I, you know, I don't deal with that well. Now being away from my family, uh, taking the job with the ABCA and being away from my family, I was able to get into a little bit of a routine of being by myself a little bit more. Uh, so I, I did add some things in. So even before all of this was going on, I was starting to train a little bit with, with being by myself, which uh, it is a hard thing for me. I had to get outside my comfort zone to try to do that. And uh, it's the opposite for an introvert. So I do appreciate the fact that, that yeah. people had reached out to me. But, I, I you know, you got to handle it. Um, you know, life gives you, you different things to handle and you have to handle it. It can't be, you know, you can't get depressed about it. And, um, you know, we're going to handle things differently, but you do have to adjust on the fly as life hands you things. Well, and you just mentioned something that ties back into what we were saying of being outside of your comfort zone. And, you know, that's what happens with players when they, um, they're playing the game of baseball. As you mentioned, it is a game of, we'll just use the word of failure, where you're failing seven out of 10 times, do it for 30 years and you're in the hall of fame. As yep. they say. And so how do you deal with that? And it really is from a perspective level. And I mentioned programming, um, you know, programming is really what happens to us in our first five years of life. We are, you've heard it. Kids are sponges. They soak it up. Well, that is actually a great analogy. Yep. Um, we are great at humans at that time period of absorbing incredible amounts of data and what we're not so good at is providing context for that content that we're absorbing. And so very often things get a little wacky inside of us when it comes to life. And you know, maybe it's um, something very innocent like a look from a parent or a dog barking and you, know, you grow up afraid of dogs. There's all these little cues that no parent or anybody can possibly keep track of. And so we get programmed. And then we get into life a little bit later and we get into a situation where there is some perceived stress like a baseball game or school or relationships and we behave in ways that are perhaps not productive or desired at that moment. Yeah, fight or flight. Yeah, fight or flight. And uh, you know, we say things, we destroy relationships, we do all sorts of things. And in the game of baseball, we will just say we don't play as well as we can play. And sometimes it's inexplicable, you know, from
from a traditional coaching standpoint, you might look at somebody and say, the swing is good. Um, hey, maybe you're just not relaxed. And, uh, you know, you kind of, that's about the end of your mental and emotional <laughs> coaching at that moment. And, uh, you know, what I, what I discovered through this process, these processes, and again, primarily with the tapping, was that I went from being a good coach to a humble but great coach and that it was there was an amazing uh, often miraculous change seemingly seemingly miraculous change in a player over an incredibly short period of time and um i'll give you an, an example or a story the first time i got brave enough to use this tapping was actually in a game and i was coaching really young kids at the time like nine ten year old kids and one of them was um trying to uh, impress me and um, tried to get in a rundown intentionally between second and third, get to third base, and he just didn't quite do it. And he got tagged out and he collapsed on the ground and gave that silent cry that only a nine-year-old can do. And he's weeping on the ground and people in the stands think he's injured. But I, I had coached him a couple of times before and I knew he was just high strung. He had a lot of stuff going on in his house. And uh, I said, hey, buddy, come off to the side. He was the third out of the inning. Come off to the side here and just do what I do. So I start to just say, will, will you do this? And I start to go through my routine of um, tapping on these little meridian spots, endpoints, and we can talk more about that in a moment. And within about 30 seconds, his face goes from, you know, just uh, the wrong color to the right color. He stops crying. I, again, I didn't say a word beyond that. And he picks up his glove and he was the pitcher for that half inning. Yep. So he goes out there and he has an amazing inning like he never had before. And I thought, huh, well, that was interesting. And I thought, well, maybe it was just coincidence. And I got brave again. And this, this kept happening. And all of these kids kept playing. Not only were they um, out of that spiral of the emotional spiral that kids can get in where they're literally sitting on the dugout floor weeping and creating little mud piles with their tears, um, they would go out and play better than they had before. And so I thought, wow, this is really interesting. And it, that went on for about two years. I'm, I'm a slow learner. I wanted to really make sure this was real before I you know, really jumped into it. But it, it was um, probably a dozen kids who had exactly that same reaction, ages nine to 12 in that little league range. And then I, uh, I dove into it and I said, oh, this is, this is fabulous. I'm going to go get certified in this. It took me a couple of years to get that certification. And, uh, you know, from that point, I really just started to um, realize that it was an incredible tool and help kids. I say kids. And these are anybody from college on down, right, yep. as a kid. And uh, um, it became really, really interesting to see the results that were come out of it. Um, can I tell you a couple of anecdotal stories here? They're actually real stories. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. yeah. So one of them um, was a college D1 guy, physical specimen. You're not going to find many stronger, more powerful kids than this. Not real tall or anything, just, you know, put together. Playing D1, outfielder. And he just was having a hard time. He hit about 200 his freshman year, um, got some starts, but it just really wasn't what he was all about. And so I worked with him um, just a couple of moments with him. 
and the techniques that uh, are in the champion playbook program we implemented and the next year he led the team in uh, several offensive categories and uh, that's kind of typical of what was what would go on there um, and interestingly I never talked to him about mechanics or anything like that. I, in fact, I do very little talking. Um, words are really not a great way to um, help people in the, in the most dynamic and powerful way. And we can talk about why that is. But um, we went through these procedures and um, what we discovered is that his mindset and his perspective had been skewed by an event that happened um, during his freshman year. So it wasn't age zero to five, it was his freshman year in college. And, you know, coaches, they don't realize the impact sometimes that's gonna, they can have on a kid. Yep. And so the event was this freshman was uh, approached by all five coaches, head coach, four assistants. They called him over and they were talking to him. Now, I think they were probably well-meaning, but from the kid's perspective, he was traumatized by that. You can imagine this scared freshman in front of all of these guys. And the head coach was a former big time major league uh, uh, coach and uh, a great player. And so we, we thought about that uh, episode as he was surrounded by those coaches. And we went through this tapping procedure and boom, that was the event that we cleared up. And from that point, he was fine. And for anybody listening in that isn't a coach, um, coaches aren't purposefully trying to make players worse. Like that, that's not a thing. And I think that people outside the coaching arena need to have some perspective on coaching. Coaching is very hard, um, especially dealing with, with 18 to 22 year olds. If you're coaching in college, you're dealing with guys that are, are guys or girls that are really successful, have been successful up to that point. So you're not trying to make players worse. Like that, that's not a thing. Um, but but the the presentation and and who you're dealing with and um that's where you do have to try to develop a relationship with the people that you're coaching because um if, if you don't have a little bit of that baseline that it can it can be traumatic um and and a coach doesn't even know that's going on at times um you know and I thought about that today, you know, all of these tools, all the things that are out there uh, from a performance standpoint that are going to enhance performance everybody's got a ceiling for their talent, but all of these tools can help someone bust through that ceiling. So yes, that might be somebody going from a lid league or pony league and then advancing them to high school or from high school to college where they maybe weren't a college athlete. And I'm a good example of that. I, I think in high school, I wasn't a college athlete, but, but all of these tools allowed me to then progress into college and then have an opportunity to go play independent baseball where if I hadn't have done the, those things, I wouldn't have gotten that way. And, and even at the big league level, it, it may take a guy who's a utility uh, spot start big leaguer and take them to an everyday big leaguer. Or it may take an everyday big leaguer and turn them into a Hall of Famer um, but just by those skills because they're handling things better. Well, and that's it's really great. I Is that before I came on here with you. And by the way, thank you so much for inviting me here. Yeah. Yep. It's really an honor to be able to, to help uh, raise awareness and hopefully help coaches and players through the ABCA. Um, you know, the, uh, the question of, um, you know, coaches, um, 
Let me look at my notes, what I wrote down here. Oh, yeah. Yeah, coaches don't know um, necessarily what's going on inside of a kid. Um, that is so true. And I think that what I would love to see have happen here is to just make these, these um, techniques and methods routine. I mean, yes. it should be part of an everyday thing. And that's really why I created the, the program is that I felt I was doing more of a uh, dentistry. I was filling cavities. Yep. I was doing a good job of filling cavities. And I'm, I'm happy and proud for these kids who came in, you know, in a state of despair, quickly were able to go out and play again. But I see that they really weren't adopting this as part of their lifestyle. And that's what I think is, is the necessary part of the next level for our communities and culture is to make it part of it. Um, and I do I, want to give a shout out to Alan Yeager, um, Alan Jaeger, because I think he's been on the forefront of this for a long time of trying to get coaches to implement this every day at practice, even if it's two or three minutes. You know, I worked with Brian Kane uh, when I was at Iowa and he was another guy and, and he and I are going to talk here later on. Um, you know, he was big, same thing on just trying to implement something every day. Uh, so it's not lip service. So it's not, okay, I'm telling you to do this, but I'm not going to show you how to do it or how we're going to implement it because it's one of those things. It's, it's like probably the coach out there and, and I, we all fell into this trap. You would work on 12 different bunt plays and then you'd get into a game and you'd only use one or two of them, or you'd have 48 different first and third plays and you'd get into a game and you'd only use one or two of them. So I think it's very similar on in that respect that, um, you know, do things that you're going to actually implement. And all these things that you're talking about, these are things that players can use every day in practice and then carry over because they're going to need these during a game. They're going to need all of these skills to perform at their highest level in a game where you may not use 12 bump plays or 12 first and third plays, but all of this stuff, they're going to use every day in a competitive environment. Every, absolutely. And I liken it to, again, I don't know why I'm fixated on dentistry here, but it's like... Going, but I love that. I love when you talk about filling cavities. I love that because yeah. that's not what it should be. That's right. That's right. I want kids to brush their teeth every day. For sure. <laughs> and, uh, you know... Um, they will, I think the, these kids are so intelligent these days, they will learn pretty quickly that they can take these techniques and they can do them for everything in their life. Um, one of my clients is a, he's a really great 16, 17 year old kid. And he, he's got some really good talent. Um, we got on our, as part of my program, we, we do zoom tele, tele video conferences, got on the call and I said, Hey, how's it going? He said, Oh, really good. Um, you know, uh, I, got an I got an A on my chemistry test I was like oh that's great well the reason I know it's great is that prior call we had tapped on his anxiety over you know taking this chemistry test and he wanted to do that so he's a baseball player a high level guy who quickly got it that oh wow I can do better in school yep. I can use these things and that's where we really want to be and I I think that you know Brian Kane and Alan Jager are fabulous and uh, it's great that we've got some people in the world who are starting to bring this um, to a higher level of awareness, but we have a long way to go. Yes. Um, I'm, I, I'm, I think it's very similar to, mm, yeah, there's a couple of analogies here. So uh, scurvy, 
you know, scurvy was killing lots of people in the British Navy. And uh, the, uh, the King of England wanted to know why and what we could do about it. So there was a doctor, um, Dr. James Lind, who figured it out. And he's like, ah, all we have to do is to have some lemons on board, some lemon juice. This will cure it. And uh, he had good evidence, presented his case. And lo and behold, he was right. But it took 40 years <laughs> for the British Navy to implement it. 40 years of people. Um, unfortunately, they were dying. You know, yes. this was life or death. We're not in life, life and death with the baseball here, but it takes a long time. And so uh, we really have to keep doing what we're doing here, Ryan. And, uh, you know, the people who will listen will benefit greatly. I mean, just from a baseball and coaching perspective, it is such a competitive advantage. You know that. Yes. You've lived it. And the guys who haven't yet done it, um, you're going to be blown away when you finally unleash the power that's inside of your players. And I have former teammates of mine from college that knew I was doing all this stuff, but that didn't, that are coaching now. And this was, you know, I played 20 something years ago that now are reaching out to me being like, Hey, can you talk me through this stuff? And I'm like, yeah, I was doing it as a player. And they're like, yeah, I know we saw you do this, but we just, we weren't going to do it, which, which is okay. But it, it's cool that they're reaching out now. You know, for anybody that, that wants to, to get into tapping, can you just take us through that right now and just walk, you know, for anybody listening in, can you just walk us through that right now, what, what you actually do because with the Meridian points and then can you just walk through that right now? Sure, sure. So the really the procedure is amazingly simple and, but powerful. Um, there is science behind it. And let me start off with that is that uh, what I love about tapping is not only does it work, but it's been clinically studied. Yes. So it is in clinic in clinical environments. And I am delighted to say that uh, similar to the scurvy analogy, uh, the U.S. government, after only 15 years of lobbying, is now approved tapping for the treatment of PTSD in the VA system. And uh, kudos to um, or hats off to Dr. Dawson Church, who did the lobbying on behalf of uh, EFT Universe to get that done. And uh, I'm just going to plug that one more time. This is quite miraculous. Imagine we're talking Vietnam vets who've been walking around for decades after following the instructions of traditional protocol at the VA, which has been drugs and uh, talk therapy, but it hasn't worked for them. So they have uh, resistant PTSD. Um, after the, the, the data shows that after only six sessions of tapping, 86% of those veterans fall out of the PTSD spectrum. Yep. Wow. Wow. I mean, that is just, uh, you're giving somebody their life back. The, uh, the, the destruction of PTSD on the person as well as the families around them is immense. And uh, that is the same things that I do with uh, baseball players. And you think, well, how can that be? <laughs> how can we be using something for something as uh, dastardly as PTSD and then something as you know, seemingly uh, easygoing as a sport? Well, this is the miracle of the human uh, condition, the human yes, body is. here. So what we do is when tapping, we are literally tapping on, and I'm doing it now. I'll do it on my chest, so near my microphone, you can hear that. Um, tapping on certain spots that are um, very similar to acupuncture spots. 
but we don't have to be quite as precise. We're not using a needle. I'm just using my finger for those of you who are listening. And it can be one or two fingers, three fingers. It doesn't really matter. And that's one of the nice things about this process is that uh, it's pretty forgiving and you still get good results. And so as we tap on these meridian spots, which I'm doing, if we really wanted to do this in the, the traditional clinical way, I would have somebody tune into a negative memory. Um, now for a kid like the ones I was describing who were crying on the field, um, they don't have to tune into anything. <laughs> they're, in, they're in the moment, brother. Yep. And so it becomes pretty easy. All you would have to do as a coach is to learn this, where to tap, and you don't even have to touch this kid, and you shouldn't, right? In this day and age, you don't need to expose anybody to that kind of risk. Um, you're just simply saying, hey, do what I do. And what happens here is uh, a change of perspective. The tapping creates a small electrical signal called a piezoelectrical signal. And that electrical signal travels along those meridians and it gets to this amazing part of our brain called the amygdala. And the amygdala houses both emotions and memories. So it turns out that um, every memory that we have has an emotional component intertwined with it. So let's go back to that thing we talked at the beginning. Uh, dog barked at me when I was five years old. I grew up not to like dogs. Okay, so I would have somebody tune into that feeling of um, the emotion and the feeling of what happens when a dog barks. And we would simply tap, hold that feeling, tune into it, and let's tap on these spots. Now there's a little more art to it than that that we won't necessarily get into today. But as a coach, if you simply did that, wow, you will see things happen. <laughs> yeah. And I'm laughing because it becomes a, uh, an amazing miracle, little minor miracle every time it happens. It still is a joy for me to see after all these years of seeing it happen because it's remarkable to see a human go from despair to happiness and productivity pretty daggone quickly. And for anybody listening in that you're, you're still trying to get a visual on it, it's about four or five taps, you know, crown of the head in between the, you know, the, the eyebrows, side of the cheek, underneath the nose, uh, center of the chin, and then right outside there in the collarbone, uh, just hitting those areas four or five times and, and working it around. I would help guys with reframe. I like to call it reframing. And um, for me, that's what it is. You're reframing situations that have happened to you and events that have happened to you and, and really turning those back into a positive, um, you know, okay, it may have been a bad day at practice. And okay, so take what happened at practice that, that you maybe perceived wasn't great or a dog barking situation. Mine was fear of heights for a long time. Um, see those and, and work through the tapping part of it or reframe those and, and really see what you want because then it, it turns it into a positive and, and those are all skills that, that people can develop and it doesn't happen right away but as people are doing it and, and, and obviously with the tapping part of it, it happens a lot quicker than what people probably would anticipate. It is. It does happen quicker and so people say, well, how long do I have to do this? <laughs> well, if we knew that, um, you know. Be doing it, doing something else for a living than the stock market, maybe. I don't know. It's so like much. me with meditation. You know, people ask, like, how long does it take? I'm like, it just, it's called practice for a reason. Like, I, 
you know, some days are going to be better than others, but you just have to dive in and do it. Um, but there's no, there's no timetable for it. Um, there's not, everybody is different. And I think again, this is the, if you want to become a great coach, you have to realize everybody is different and then come up with a custom plan for them, whether it's getting their body in shape, their arm, uh, their mind, whatever it may be, you got to have, I'll, I'll give you some central tenets, but then from there, be flexible enough to create something that's uh, custom. And that's hard, right? I mean, yep. you know, it requires a lot of advanced work before you get to practice. You have to think about each player. You have to think about how you're going to interact with them, disseminate that information to your assistant coaches, and then execute <laughs> and do that over and over and over. It's a lot of work. But it makes it more joyful f- as a coach. Like, you know, as you start to implement these things and you see positive results, yeah, I think coaches get a lot of gratification. I got so much gratification out of doing things with this, with guys. And, you know, if you've ever had to deal with someone that's had the yips, like it is it is heartbreaking uh, when you deal with someone that's going through that because they lose a sense of who they are. Uh, and, and when you can help someone get through that, it does bring a little bit of that sense of self back and normalcy because once someone gets lost with it, it's really hard and it is traumatic for, for anybody that's had to go through it. It is really traumatic. And as a coach, it's gratifying to try to help guys through that. Um, even just a little bit, uh, you know, and, and there's been guys that it it did it, it, it ended their careers and even from them, from a, you know, whether it's a, a female or a male, like when you get older, like being able to play catch with your kids, like that's an actual thing. And, 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 and that might be trivial. It's not like you have somebody that's played baseball that may get the yips that eventually they're going to have kids and you want them to be able to play catch with their kids at some point too. Yeah. And, and you know, you mentioned trauma and I want to use that word again, because we do have to, to acknowledge that there's trauma in these players. And sometimes people think trauma has to be this major event that you see in the newspaper. No, it can be a trauma. Uh, it is a trauma depending on the perspective of that person. Yes. And so it's, it's again, just a, a look from a parent or, you know, a teacher or a coach that can traumatize somebody. And it doesn't mean you have to be Mr. Perfect as a coach. You're going to make those mistakes and you're going to induce some trauma into somebody. That's why it's critical to have these techniques, whether it's breathing or tapping or posture, or there's a whole bunch of things that are possible out there. Develop that um, toolkit that you can implement easily, make it routine, make it a part of your culture on the team. And uh, I think you'll just be, as you say, it's very gratifying to see somebody move from mm, confusion and pain into you know, empowerment and, and really starting to open up who they truly are, discovering who they truly are and helping them make decisions in their life based on that. And I love the, the, the term empowering, um, you know, you're, you're giving them the tools to, to help themselves. And that's what empowerment is for me. Like you're, you're giving them the tools to be able to help themselves, uh, and, and keep them out of, of trauma and, and, then even if they do have a little bit of trauma, like they're able to get themselves out of it and again, add some perspective, but empowerment's a great term. It really is. And you know, I don't want somebody to keep coming back to me for the next 10 years. I haven't done my job. I love (laughs) it. I love that. 
and, you know, give them, give them the tools. Sure. They can come back for a refresher. We all need that. We all go back to spring training. That's what it should be. But we all at some point need to become our own coaches and our own advocates. And to, again, I'll say the words, discover who we truly are and make decisions based off of that. Um, one of the modules in, in the program that I put together is, is about that. It is about decision-making because it's so easy in our culture right now. Um, and it's, it's a blessing in a way, and it's a blessing and a curse. That's, that's how things are. It's a blessing that we live in an affluent country. Um, we, we really don't want for very much. Um, uh, and because of that, we can just go forward and basically follow the cues of other people in the community and other people in the world, and we can live a decent life. But it is, is it the life that we really, really wanted deep inside of us? You know, and we have that luxury now because of the affluence to go inside and say, what is it that I truly want? Who am I? What do I really want to do in this world? And that gets buried more times than not. You know, the people that discover it and they live those lives that are uh, based on who they truly are, they're amazing. And, and they're incredibly uh, uh, motivating. I think they are. I mean, the most famous person, I think, on that would be somebody like Abraham Lincoln. You know, Lincoln, uh, humble beginnings and just talk about failure. You know, for 30 years in his career, it was like lost election, you know, lost uh, family. I mean, failure after failure. And somehow he continued to make decisions that resonated with his heart, stuck with it, and became the president of the United States. <laughs> well, there, there's an interview with Tom Brady this week, and he's talking about his freshman year of high school, how he was on an 0-8 team his freshman year of high school for football, and he couldn't get on the field. Like He, he was like, I couldn't even start for an 0-8 football team when I was a freshman in high school. Wow. wow. Yeah. I, and I love those stories. And so, you know, as we do all of this as baseball coaches – we really have an opportunity to make huge impacts on people. And if you don't mind, I'm going to go off on a slightly different tangent on that now. How about it? Yeah. So the performance piece is fabulous. Um, competitive advantage. That is great. Life skills. That's amazing too. Um, the third piece of this, which doesn't get talked about a lot is the health aspect of it. You know, when we're doing this breathing and we're doing tapping, we are making an incredible change in somebody's physiology. Um, not only in the moment where we're changing uh, neurotransmitters from you know, probably less cortisol, maybe more GABA and other feel-good uh, neurotransmitters that are appropriate for the moment, but we're also making an epigenetic effect on these people's genes. So epigenetics, uh, relatively new term over the last 15 years, scientists realize that genetics are not the real the predominant, um, you know, you're limited by your genetics kind of statement is what people used to say. They're realizing that environmental factors, including the choices we make, have a huge impact on the way our, gene, our DNA is read. Yep. So you have a blueprint, contractors look at it. One guy could look at it differently than the other. And that's kind of what goes on in our, in our DNA. So as we're doing this tapping, it's been shown that uh, there is an epigenetic effect because of the change in the level of the chemistry in our body. We'll just leave it at that. And what does that mean? So 
the epigenetic effect with regard to stress. We'll put it that way. It's been shown that if you take a couple of mice, put them under stress for long periods of time, and then take a slide of their DNA, you will see that the genes that are associated with how to deal with that stress are regulated on, we'll call it. So they're always um, predisposed to fight or flight. They're just yes. in that moment all the time. Let them have offspring. Have, test the DNA of those offspring. Those genes will be in the same position. They yep. have literally passed on their predisposed notion of stress onto them. Ooh, think about the cultural implications of that on humans. It, it's amazing. And so it's incumbent on us as adults to help our kids not be in that state because we will literally change the human race in a negative way if we are always under stress. Yeah. And unfortunately, that is, you think about what's going on in the world in the 20th century and the 21st century, we've had a lot of stress. Yeah. And I would say that as baseball coaches, look, I know it's, your job is not to save the world, but you can have an amazingly big impact on the world by doing these kinds of things that we're talking about, yep. whether it be breathing or tapping or any other kind of mind body and do it on a, uh, a regular basis. Yep. It's, uh, you know, where we're at now with the coronavirus and what everybody's dealing with. Um, yeah, I said this the other day. I think we we're just really fortunate that during Y2K, there was no social media going on because I think that had uh, that could have shut everything down back in, in 2000. I was bartending at the time and was working that night, and we fully anticipated that uh, the lights were going to go out and, and not come back on, but obviously that didn't happen. But I think about, with, with, you know, in 2000, there really wasn't any social media, so... I think we handled things a little bit different. And um, again, I, I think you have to consider the source because there's so much information out there right now that's hard to, hard to know what is actually true. But I think we all have a, a hand in all of this to try to get this thing to go away a little bit quicker than, than what we are right now. Yeah, yeah. And, and we also um, need to do what, um, you know, we all learned early on when we start to get into this um, mental and emotional coaching game, which is to, you know, focus on what you can control. And that's easier said than done. It is one of those things that does take practice. Um, we can't control when a vaccine is going to come out for this. You know, some people are working on it. That's great. Um, we can't control that our neighbor may get mad at us because, you know, they think we're not complying with uh, social distancing at the right distance. I mean, I see these things, um, but we can control the very basic things of ourselves. In fact, that's all we can control, yep. which is I can control my breathing. Take some practice, but I can control it. I love the box breathing that you uh, like to do. And uh, I think that anybody who implements something like that as they walk down the street, wake up in the morning, all these opportunities to breathe in a very deliberate way. That is what you can control and you should focus on that. And anybody listening that doesn't know what box breathing is, that's a, a Navy SEAL technique. So it's an inhale, it's a hold, it's an exhale, it's a hold. That's why it's called a box because there's four sides to it. So it's an inhale, hold, exhale, hold. Um, let's get back into some training side. We talked about kettlebell stuff. How did you get into kettlebell? Thank you for bringing that up. I yep. love talking about that. And that's one of the things too, I want people to know is that 
it's not just mental or physical. You could, you really need to do both. Yes, you, you do. To, yep. Yeah, it is. It is all connected. I call it the non-physical stuff for mental, physical, mental and emotional. But let's face it, that's what drives the physical. It's all connected. Yes. Um, yeah. So how did I get into it? So when my son was eleven, um, he was a good youth soccer player, pretty really good athlete, and I just wanted to find something that was in between the dad coach rec soccer which he wasn't getting a lot of instructions because hey i was his coach as, as well as one of my friends and we did the best we could right um but we didn't see that travel soccer just made sense did not make sense for our family um, it's a big commitment monetarily time-wise etc it wasn't there a way we could come up with something that was in between so i just networked called people and and somebody said hey why don't you call this guy who's in uh, alexandria who's doing some interesting thing with young soccer players. And this fella, his name is Darius Gilbert, is the owner of Dynamic Sport Performance. Uh, got on the phone and within about 15 seconds, I thought, oh wow, this is my guy because he's talking about training of kids in a way that was, um, it just resonated with me. He's talking about force production, force absorption, and um, you know different things that kids need from a physiological point of view to be competitive and be healthy wow, this is great. So ostensibly it was about soccer, but we walked into the studio and you know his training methods were using the kettlebell. And the kettlebell has been around for a hundred years, um, but there's not a lot of people out there who were, who were using it or are still using it with youth, young athletes. Yep. And again, young being from college down through little league. So, um, you know, my son was a reticent, shy 11 year old. And uh, he was willing, though, to walk into the studio. And then afterwards, that was it. He was hooked. He loved it. And I think that, you know, the, that's how I got into it as well, is that uh, I saw that these young kids were really enjoying the protocol. And there's something very primal and satisfying about working with a kettlebell that does not translate into a barbell or a dumbbell. Uh, where would you point somebody if they're if, if somebody's not doing kettlebell stuff right now where would you point them to, to 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 start to dive in on kettlebell stuff that is a great question because you know good and bad there's lots of information on the internet right now instagram <laughs> you, yeah. you see a ton of stuff on instagram yes do not go to those i have to tell you <laughs> kettlebell is a wonderful tool but it requires a really good teacher yes. to get you to do it the right way it is a very very technical tool um, and protocol. And I would say that, uh, you know, the um, RKC is the name of the organization that I'm part of. Um, RKC provides certification. Um, I'm not, you know, there's, I'm not going to say there's nobody else. I will say that the Strong First group also does a good job. What does there. RKC stand for? Russian Kettlebell Okay. Yep. Uh, okay. Yeah. Yep. And so each group has their different little twist to it, but those two are the leading in terms of what I'll call the sport performance kettlebell world. And um, yeah, so the whole kettlebell thing. And then I saw what my son was doing and I thought, hey, that looks good. I wanna try that. And so while my friend's business is primarily uh, young athletes, it does have a couple of early morning classes where you know us older folk can step in there. <laughs> And I think that's critical for a coach too. Again, is I've seen your workouts on Twitter. I've seen you getting in there. <laughs> no, you haven't. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
I, I'm, I, I'm not going to be that guy that posts his own workouts. I'll post my clients' workouts. Um, but I do, I do enjoy it. And it's really important, I think, for coaches to remain in shape and to be, at, to be a good messenger as well. You know, I, I've seen things that uh, are lack credibility because it's like the dietitian who came to talk to my kids in school. She was just not a good messenger. She yep. was out of shape, you yep. know. And so as a coach, I don't expect us to be uh, tip top shape, but you do want to feel good. And that's my goal now as a 50 plus person is I want to wake up in the morning and realize I can go do anything I want to do. Yep. And that's where I am. And I and the kettlebell has been an amazing tool for that. And what it has done for the athletes, uh, particularly the baseball players, has been amazing. Um, is it OK if I keep talking on yeah. that level? Yep. Yeah. So. We've all seen it in the past uh, five years. There was an explosion of injured arms, young kids getting um, Tommy John surgery. And that did not exist when I was growing up. You know, I didn't, I didn't see anybody who was um, in college or high school with uh, UCL tears and surgery. Nobody. And now it's, we have 11-year-olds with a relationship with orthopedics and a, and a physical therapist. And, and it's just tragic. And the answer to all of that, you know, in my opinion or our opinion here at the, at the sports center is, um, you know, these kids' bodies are not prepared for the stress that's being put on it. And yet with the addition of travel ball and three season baseball here in the North uh, or mid Atlantic, you can play all year round in the South. It's like, wow, their bodies are not prepared for lots of reasons we could talk about. And so what can we do about it? Um, Honestly, what we do with the kettlebell is a whole lot of GPP or general general physical preparedness, which is it's almost remedial work <laughs> because these kids' bodies, they missed a lot of the things that probably you and I grew up with, which is free play outside, barefoot, jumping around for hours, developing their bodies physically. And, uh, you know, I've been coaching youth sports for um a long time won't say. <laughs> and it used to be that if you had a team of 20 kids two of them couldn't do push-ups correctly it's reversed yeah. now so you know as expectations for performance accelerated cultural stuff on social media accelerated the condition of the bodies um, went the other way and the manifestation of all of that ends up in pain in their arms yep so with the kettlebell it trains you from toes to fingertips or toes to head. You know, we train in our bare feet. Um, we, we do uh, explosive work. We do force absorption, force production. Um, and uh, it's hard to describe to people, particularly traditional guys who have been working out with barbells. They look at the kettlebell and they just kind of shake their head and say, well, that's not for baseball. And yet the, uh, the kids who would come to us generally had gone to physical therapists, not really gotten out of pain, maybe gotten out of pain, but couldn't stay out of pain. And the PTs actually send them to us. Yep. Okay? This is not happenstance because they realize that their knowledge base is limited to what they learned in school. And what a PT learns in school, even a doctorate of PT, is not adequate to help these kids um, train their bodies so that they can re remain out of pain. Yep. 
forgive my no that's all right it's we're all dealing with background i've got i'm sure i got background stuff going on but that's that's part part of being stuck inside but that's That's right that's what we're all all dealing with right now commentary on what i'm saying no i don't know (laughs) but anyway the kettlebell um yeah is an amazing tool and it is slowly again coming into the baseball world uh coach mike boyle you know up in boston was the trainer for the Red Sox for one season. Um, and you would see Dustin Pedroia walking around pregame with a kettlebell in his hand. Um, you know, just a very simple farmer's carry. Yep. And um, that is really where the world is. Um, many of our young, I'm so proud of these guys, they're teenagers. They have to kind of buck their system in their high schools by carrying a kettlebell with them. And you'll see them off in the corner pregame doing their work, getting ready. And they almost have to be uh, clandestine because sometimes coaches don't like something that's not part of the system. And uh, this gets back to, again, being flexible and being more of a um, let's see what works, coach, as opposed to do it my way. Well, you don't know what you don't know. So, well, that's, I love that phrase that we <laughs> all don't know what we don't know. You don't and, know what you don't know. You know, the uh, I'm going to d- dive into. You know, Tibetan Buddhism here for a moment, if that's okay. Yep. They have, there's three levels of, of knowledge that they respect. So one is scripture, and doesn't mean holy scripture necessarily. Just, hey, written word can be scripture. And that's a, certainly a little legitimate source of knowledge. But a higher level than that is reasoning. So you're using your past experiences, plus perhaps some scripture, and you're coming up with a conclusion that's totally legit. The highest level of understanding in their perspective is experience. So until a coach experiences the feeling of working with a kettlebell, they will never truly buy into it. And And we love it when we can get a coach to come in and work out with us. And occasionally we'll get somebody. Usually, um, there is a resistance and, uh, it's a shame because we all can't grow unless we're open to something new. Yep. Just try it. Just try it. I mean, that changed my life. It changed your life. Yep. You know, and uh, if you don't like it, reject it, but yep. try it. Yeah. Well, Scott, for anybody that has questions for you that wants to reach out to you, where's the best place to find you? Yeah, you can find me um, uh, two places. I will give you my website, which is um, the, T-H-E, championplaybook.com. And you can also reach out to me via email at scott, that's S-C-O-T-T, at coachscottfox.com. And I appreciate you coming on. You made my weekend much better. So, uh, oh, awesome. Yep, awesome. yep. So, and I look forward to talking to you again. Oh, yeah. We got a lot of good things to talk about, my friend. Yep. All right, cool. All right, thanks. Thanks, Ryan. Uh, personally, I feel a lot lighter right now. I uh, feel really positive about the talk that uh, Scott and I had. I think you need people like that in your life that are going to allow you to, to think about things and, and help you improve personally. Hopefully you got a lot out of this episode. Uh, I know I did. Uh, it's one that I'll probably go back and listen to again here uh, just because it did help and I'm picking up things as we go as well. Uh, This is a first time for everybody uh, being uh, forced to be inside so I'm looking for for ways to connect with people and and reach out and uh, it's always great to get around people that make you think about things and and 
really put things in your court to, to help yourself improve as well. Uh, this is Ryan Brownlee uh, signing off from my basement in Macomb, Illinois. Uh, this is for the American Baseball Coaches Association. And uh, thanks again for listening in. And remember to leave it better for those behind you. Thanks.